0: confrontation we've been waiting for the bruising battle of the big men for the 1984 national championship for georgetown the power centers on this man patrick ewing the dominating heart of the hoya attack but if anything ewing is even more intimidating on defense and because of him georgetown's opponents drive to the basket at their own peril but tonight, Ewing is up against a foe worthy of his field. Houston star center Akeem Abdul-Olajuwon. Akeem and Ewing are without question the two most powerful big men in college basketball. And in a few moments, they will be going at each other off the boards for the first time ever. With nothing less than a national title at stake. Yeah.
1: Let's talk a little bit more about that '84 Final Four. You mentioned getting out there to it. What what stands out the most about that Kentucky game? Because I think the you know the matchup between Hakeem and the and the championship, I think probably gets maybe the most. Uh, Maybe the most press or the most remembrance, but that that like you said, that Final Four game is just incre- an incredible watch. You know, if you ever want to, if we get I, I, lately as an IU fan, you know, you get a little sad sometimes about uh, the the teams more recently. I'll go watch a you know 1987 championship or Final Four and re- really, really feel the the joy come back.
0: Uh, I was at I was there at 87 for the IU Syracuse <laughs> final. It was a remarkable game. Nice. Uh, now, this was also a great period for IU. Remember, 81, they were yep. in the final four. I think they lost to North Carolina one of the uh, the following years. Yeah. Uh, so Georgetown gets through the West Regional. It was their second time in the West, so they, they got through it. Uh, they beat Dayton um, at, at one mm-hmm. point, and, you know, to get to the— UNLV and Dayton to get to the finals. And they're facing number three, Kentucky, which was known at the time for having two centers— uh, Sam Bowie who was arguably the second best center in the country behind Ralph Sampson and a, and a 6'10 guy by the name of Melvin Turpin.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so Kentucky was a really, really good
1: team. Those guys went to the pros too. Mel Turpin yes, went to the did. pros too.
0: Um, so they also had a guard by the name of Dickie Beal who was, uh, didn't play as much in the pros, but he was a great college guard, uh, Kyle. And so Kentucky was a formidable opponent. And, um, that game was played at, the, at what's the, now the the, the kingdom was was torn down about 20 years ago, but it was a big old concrete stadium <laughs> sat like 50,000 yeah. and that was the um, second game on the on the, the docket that afternoon before uh, it, it followed the Houston Virginia game, which was won by uh, Houston in their third consecutive final four yep. So Georgetown's playing Kentucky uh, Ewing gets into early foul trouble. Uh, Kentucky's up 27 to 12 with eight minutes to go. And people are like, oh, this is not going to end well because Kentucky is a team that really plays up to it. John's approach at the time was don't worry. We'll get Patrick back for the second half. Just play better defense. Okay. So 27 to 12, 27 to 15 Georgetown scores the last seven points of the first half. Now, again, for your audience realize there's no three point play. There's no shot clock. So, 27 to 22 is not unusual. It's a little bit slow, but that's your halftime score. The second half opens with something that is remarkable in that it has never happened since in college basketball. Uh, Kentucky, this is a very good Kentucky team. One of the best offenses in the country. Does not score for the first 10 minutes of the second half. (laughs) They missed their first 10 shots in the second half. And at that point, Georgetown had taken the lead. They proceeded to shoot three for 33 in the second half, <laughs> oh, 9%. Geez. Okay. Ugh. And lose the game 53 to 40. So they scored 13 points in the second half, six by field goal, and seven by free throw. Wow. And Joe B. Hall could not understand it. Uh, I remember seeing him after the game walk through a hallway, and he had this look on his face like, What just happened?
1: there in the vicinity. Oh, there's swarming defense everywhere. How does awesome display of defense against a quality team as I have ever seen in college basketball.
0: I mean, you're the number three in the co- team in the country. You've got at least two NBA draft picks on yeah. your team, and you proceed to miss 30 of 33 shots. Crazy. And a lot of it was Georgetown's defense just forcing them to take bad shots. And 33 shots in 20 minutes is not... Unusual for the time, mm-hmm. and they weren't bad shots. It wasn't like they were taking thirty-five foot shots. They missed mm-hmm. layups, they missed close ins. They were so rattled by the defensive efforts that Georgetown mm-hmm. had provided, and you could just see the the confidence drain out of them. You miss, you go ten minutes without a basket, then they score, then they go another seven minutes without a basket. So literally, ending with the, in, entering the final four minutes of that game, they had two field goals in the second half, mm-hmm. and with that. Georgetown wins the game by 13 and goes on to play Houston in a game which was relatively close. Georgetown was leading throughout most of the game, but that Kentucky game opened a lot of eyes to, wow, what a defensive stop that was Mm -hmm. against a team that had really overwhelmed its opponents in the tournament. And if you look back upon how Kentucky did leading up to that, they they manhandled a lot of their teams. So they're up 12 on Georgetown late in the first half, and all of a sudden it's halftime, and they flatline, just suffocate, and you them. really do not see that in today's in no. certainly not in today's basketball. But they shot nine percent in the second half. That is crazy, and that's yeah. a lot. I mean, I mean, that is defense. That is not Kentucky wasn't playing well. Kentucky lost its no. They That was defensive stops up and down the court.
1: So what what was it like watching uh, uh, you and go up against the? Uh, uh, Hakeem or Akeem at the time because yeah. uh, I think that they had this legendary battle then in the pros too and, and a lot of people might know about that but the, the fact that they went up against each other in college is I think is so fascinating uh, to, to think about because they just became two of the all-time greats and it rarely plays out that way that you these you know that great also translates into you know all-time great in, in the pros.
0: Just my opinion as a fan. I think Elijah became a better player in the pros than he was in college. Mm-hmm. He was more of a project player at Houston. Um, I think that's part of that is because of the way um, that team was run. Mm-hmm. There's an excellent documentary that ESPN did about the '83 Feislamajama team yeah. and how Benny Anders and if you've seen that about oh, yeah. that one pass, if, <laughs> if it's deflected, how everything changes with that yeah. program. But they were coming into their third Final Four. It would and you know they they came so close the year before I think there was a feeling on that team that they just couldn't get over the over the hill yeah uh Ewing was the better man that night uh had to do a lot he was frustrated by a bigger man inside A lot of the Houston offenses at that time did not roll through Olajuwon. For example, Clyde Drexler earlier, that was really he was the, the guy that moved it along. So is still growing into the kind of player he could be. Mm-hmm. Um but this is just me talking. It's not it's not a necessarily fact. I, I just looked <laughs> and when I looked at them I saw that he was a very much a, an important part, but he was not the player on that team the way he could have been uh if, if Guy Lewis had really made him the focal point. Yeah. Now people can disagree. I understand that. But um, in that game, I think Ewing over I think Ewing basically played him to at best at, at worst a draw and, and had the better of him. Uh, Georgetown got a great performance out of a little known freshman by the name of Michael Graham in that game mm, that yes. opened up the opened up that game. Um, Graham we could, was do, not we a, could do
1: a whole whole other podcast on him.
0: Yeah, I mean he played he averaged five points a game, um, was never disqualified for a game. People had this idea he was this this complete, you know troublemaker and he yeah. would never that uh, but yes yeah, so he's a whole other story <laughs> he had a great game in that in that that uh, final also Reggie Williams the freshman was the player of the game uh, but I think Ewing was a better player that day as Ewing went on to the Knicks and as Olajuwon went on to the Rockets I think Olajuwon really built up his, his ability to own the, the, the floor in ways he did not in college
1: After after they win, they win. What is the the perception then? Uh, how how does it change? Because it seems like you know, e- eventually the the sort of perception of, of Thompson, the program, everything has this kind of shift where he becomes this kind of almost grandfatherly the figure, the way that he's embraced and and thought about, and and, and certainly it's deserved. It's deserved. I just think that it's so interesting, um, you know, to have this almost villainous. Uh, storyline written about you and then to to you know just do what you've always been doing and have it totally turn around into almost the exact opposite
0: yeah i think in a lot of ways that's the kind of the arc of his coaching that he was he was not well known when he got the job he was a high school coach he had never coached in college
1: So
0: uh he takes the job it was twenty thousand dollars a year um you know, John was a capitalist. He used to say that the world was Mm -hmm. not black and white, but shades of green. (laughs) And so it was important to him to, you know, make money. Georgetown could not really pay him a lot. And so that's where the alliance with Nike allowed him the ability to build up his, his, his wealth in ways that Georgetown could not. Um, and yet he was someone who was really taught at a very early age to make sure that you stood up for yourselves. And so he would not back down for those who might question what he was doing. Um, there were times where he was you know he would get in his own way sometimes or there were a number of great players where he would not recruit them well i'll give you an example kenny anderson mm-hmm. who uh, nba wanted to come to georgetown john thompson would not visit kenny anderson's house he says i don't go to recruits houses Want to come to talk to me? Come to the campus. Interesting. And so, guess what? Kenny Anderson goes elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, Georgetown lost Grant Hill. It lost lost Dennis Scott, Rasheed Wallace, because John said, "Look, I'm gonna. This is how I recruit. Yeah. If you want to do it this way, you come and talk to me. But if you don't, go somewhere else. Very interesting. So that lost him the opportunity in the '90s. I mean, where is where is this team in the '90s? With a lineup that included uh, Dennis Scott, Kenny <laughs> Anderson, Alonzo Mourning, Dakemi Matumbo, and Grant Hill.
1: Sounds like a good lineup. <laughs>
0: yeah. So it did not happen. Uh, mm. The Matumbo story was he was alerted to Matumbo uh, through a member of the US international aid group that says, Hey, there's a kid down here. You need to. John John's not flying to, to the Congo to see right. him. He says, Is he good? Yes. Is he tall? Yes. Well, let's let's talk, I want to find out more about him <laughs> and brought him to the US uh, under. A chance to, to uh, he did not play his first year. He he uh, came to school and uh, basically Sat was in out. the classroom the first year, yeah. in part because in his country they didn't offer the SATs. Oh wow! So he, he could speak four languages, but he this, yeah. the SAT was not offered there. So things like that added to the perception that John always kind of had these secret recruits out. There right, somewhere. right. <laughs> so I think he did not dissuade those people who wanted to take yeah. a a. a prejudiced view of him because it it did not matter to him. What mattered to him was that he was standing up for what he believed in and in doing so was successful at it.
1: It's so crazy. I mean, what what an ama- amazing run in in the eighties and even on into the nineties. Like like you said, I, I I just you know kind of astounded by the what he what he built there and the yeah.
0: Know. I mean, their overall record in the eighties was two sixty eight and sixty nine. <laughs> so if you do the math on that, I mean, they won six Big East titles. They had gone to three Final Fours, uh, narrowly missed the eighty seven Final Four with Providence College, yeah. narrowly missed the eighty nine Final Four on Duke. Um, you know they came very close. Even the year before Ewing got there in 1980, mm-hmm. it's a forgotten one. Uh, Georgetown um, won the inaugural Big East title. They beat Maryland in the, in the regional semifinals, which Maryland's that's his, uh, was ranked uh, number four in the country. Mm-hmm. They play Iowa in the regional final, lead by 15 at the half, lose on a three-point play with five <laughs> seconds to go, <laughs> and did not make the final four. So as the longtime radio voice of the, of the Georgetown program, Rich Shavakin, likes us would say, you know, there's been a lot of great moments, but a lot of heartbreak. Mm-hmm. He saw them all and John saw them all. But I think You know, John got to a point where he saw that the college basketball landscape was changing. So he resigns in 1999, essentially at the age of 58. Yeah. And did what many coaches could not do, which was enjoy the life of an elder statesman. (laughs) Yeah. And so many coaches want to hang on and hang on and hang on more. And there is something to be said for that coach that walks away and still is connected to the game. John was a radio announcer for many years in the Washington area, (laughs) which is the amusing part was. Yeah. He hated the press, didn't he? No, he's a radio. He hosted an afternoon radio show. My primary concern as a coach is, is to protect and to teach and to do the things that I have to do for my players and I think that your role as a representative of the media is to describe that you, you understand I think sure. that where I fall into a problem sometimes with the media is that I think that they try to determine the things that I do they're supposed to describe it not to direct it you know if Thompson is craziest man in the world I'll never let him in say he's the craziest man never let him in but don't get him to change he did Westwood one college basketball games with Bill Rafter yeah Who he had played against in college, Raftery was a great, a great forward at LaSalle in the '60s. I
1: didn't know that. That's interesting. And
0: so he did that, and he was able to kind of stay around in the game, much like I mean, Raftery um, left um, Seton Hall at like the age of like 39, right? Yeah, has enjoyed this great career. Still still going. And a lot of guys don't want to do that. They want to stay into their '60s and '70s. He didn't want to do that, and so it allowed him 20 years to kind of do what he wanted in life. Um, And the the Washington book is interesting because. I think in his later years he saw where things were headed. Mm-hmm. He was he had his mobility he had mobility issues at the time, and he wasn't getting around as much. And he wanted to have a book that would tell his story the way he wanted it to be told.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Twenty years earlier, he coordinated. He was going to do a book, an autobiography, with a gentleman by the name of Ralph Wiley. Okay. And if your if your readers or your viewers don't know about Ralph Wiley, look him up. You he was a out. remarkable reporter for Sports Illustrated. Okay. He would. He was a great reporter. He died young uh, in 2004. Mm. But John saw the final version of the book and said, I don't want this book. Mm. And they were stuck. They had done the whole book. And he said, I don't want it. And so the book was never published. So he goes to Jesse Washington in 2016, 2017 and says, let me tell you my story. Mm. It is the story of John Thompson, the way John Thompson wanted it it to be said. Mm. There's a lot in that book. There's a lot not in that book. He doesn't talk about his wife, his kids why he did certain things. It was just kind of setting the case for why yeah. he did what he did. So it's an autobiography, but it's also an unusual one in that there's no book tour, there's <laughs> no appearances on TV to talk yeah. about and no questions and answers. He died three months before it, 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 mm. uh, it was published. And I think he wanted to go out with his version of the story yeah. and it's got a lot of good things in it. It talks more about civil rights and those issues than probably he did as a coach, mm. but that he still had an opinion on. Yeah. But again, it's, it's the final word because Who's gonna argue? Who's gonna <laughs> write a book that's gonna go contrary to what John said about yeah, himself?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so that becomes kind of the last book on Thompson. There's four books that have been written about the program, but I don't think there'll be one on Thompson going forward because you run into the fact that well, he's already written the book. Right. Yeah. But he did. He chose his his subjects carefully. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: there's a few things in that book that I never knew about as yeah. a fan or as a writer, yeah. but they're they few and far between. Many of the stories he told had been told another in, in other media. But I think he wanted, as he said in the in the uh, in the book, to tell the story to his grandkids.
1: Well, tell us uh, where where people can uh, find more information about you, and then if you got if you got another book recommendation too on, on Georgetown, I'm always looking for stuff to read. The website is,
0: the website is www.hoyabasketballoneword.com. That's the basket. That's the historical archive. The daily coverage of, bas- of Georgetown basketball is at Hoya HoyaSaxa, H O Y A S A X A dot com, which is the college cheer. And that's updated daily. Um, I
1: wonder what that was.
0: Yeah. So think of it as much like uh, the Virginia Tech Hokie cheer oh, yeah. or I got it now. Uh, the very ro- rock chalk, uh, yeah, yeah. whatever the case may be. So HoyaSaxa for the daily coverage and HoyaBasketball.com for the archive coverage. And if readers have an opportunity to learn more about that, what Georgetown basketball was like in the 80s and 90s. And they can find it on Amazon or other places. There's a book by former Washington Post uh, reporter Leonard Shapiro okay. called Big Man on Campus, okay. which is very fair, but also points into things that John did that probably didn't make it to the Chesse Washington book. <laughs> uh, when H- Henry Holt was the publisher, wanted to take an ad out in the game time program, Georgetown would not accept the ad. Mm. They didn't had even seen the book, but they didn't even want to ex- let people know the book existed.
1: Interesting. And it,
0: it was published in 1991. Okay. Um, and yet, it, it like I said, it was a tough but fair view of of this. And Shapiro had known Thompson back since high school, since he was coaching high school ball. And so that's always a good opportunity, to kind of read about a reporter's view of how John ran the program. Yeah. I and in the bad. end, it, at, in the end, it's not disparaging, right? But it also paints a fair view of what he was like. And there are those who you know, worshiped him. And there were other people in, in his community that thought he was, you know, we don't want anything to do with him. It was that dichotomy of who he was that made him such a fascinating person, um, both as an, as a coach and a, and a phrase that he liked to use in university company that he, he was more than a coach. He'd like to say, I'm an educator. Yeah. And all of that entailed for sure.
1: Well, again, thank you so much for joining us and, uh, you know, I hope that if we get into the the 90s one of these times we'll get you back on talk a little bit more about that kind of Morning Matumbo, Iverson era of the program as well. Thank you very much. Okay. Now I understand there's been some criticism, Coach Thompson, that maybe your coaching was a little too stringent or almost military. I wouldn't let that bother me at all. Uh, it's results that pay off. You've won the title. You've never let and this, I think, is vitally important, as much so as the title. You have never let these young men forget that there is something more important for their being a Georgetown than basketball. A shirt, it should, it should have Hoya Paranoia on it, because that's what they called us all year. But I'd like to hey. give, you, give you this shirt. Wow. Thank you for listening to the 99 Podcast. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do. And while you're at it, leave us a rating or review five stars only like the basketball camp. We also have links to all of 19.9 social media. So you never miss a release until next time.